Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I am the host of the Sendcast. We started the Sendcast a few years ago as a way to help improve knowledge around SEND. There is lots of stuff to read, but we're all very busy and don't have time to sit and read. Everyone working in schools need training and support around SEND, but the funding isn't there to achieve this. And that is why we created the Sendcast, to help try and solve that problem. To help make schools more inclusive, to help teachers be teachers of SEND, and help support staff be more aware. The Sendcast is also a great way to get the same consistent message to schools and parents. Every week on the Sendcast, we have a different guest that I've invited on to talk about a specific area. My guest this week is Ginny Bootman. Ginny is currently a Senko of two primary schools in Northamptonshire. Ginny has come along to talk about the importance of good communication with parents of children with additional needs. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B-Squared. Now, over the last 25 years, B-Squared have supported schools to support students with SEND. Over the last few years, we have diversified. For years, we've focused on assessment. This will always be our main focus, but we have seen a lack of high quality, easy to access training and CPD for schools around SEND. Our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started two years ago with a virtual SEND conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. You can find out more about our conferences and training courses by going to the Training for Education website, www.trainingforeducation.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be sharing an exclusive SENDcast discount code, so keep listening. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing the importance of good communication with parents of children with additional needs and finding time to have those important conversations. My guest is Ginny Bootman. Ginny is currently a Senko of two primary schools, but she has been a teacher for a very long time. And those are her words, not mine. A senior manager and a head teacher. She's also found time to write articles for TES and speak at a number of events. Welcome to the show, Ginny. Welcome. So, Good communication with parents of children with additional needs is extremely important. There is lots of information you need to share, but there is also lots of information you need to hear. It isn't a one-way thing going on here. No, it certainly isn't. And I think the more we can have it as a two-way communication, the better, because the parents are the experts of their children. And we can learn so much from them. So I believe anything that we are considering doing within the school context, we have that dialogue, we have that conversation with the parents to ensure that they feel that is what is right for their child. I do know of times when I've heard that parents have been sent the provision map, sign this, and it's like, oh my goodness, what is happening there? This needs to be a dialogue because inadvertently we can be trying to put in an intervention which is not right for a child because of something very, very small. So I like to go into a meeting and have some ideas and then we have the conversation and we decide what is best for the child. It might be to do with the length of the interventions, what the interventions are, even what time of day the interventions are. All of these things are things that just put the child at the center. And I think it's about putting 
the child at the center of everything and getting as much information as we can from so many different sources so that we can all do the best for the child. It is. It's changing that from this is what we're going to do to this is what we're thinking of doing. What do you think? And having time for that conversation and having the understanding that what you think might happen, you may need to change. Yes. And I think from a special need coordinator point of view, I think that's quite tricky because sometimes we want to be the expert because we think if we are perceived as not being the expert, then that is a weakness. I see it as a strength. I think the more we ask for help and we ask for parents' input, the stronger everything becomes. And I think we consciously need to say, actually, we aren't the expert on everything. What do you think? The moment we say that to parents, what do you think? It just opens a conversation up, parents feel heard, and parents start to talk, and then they tell me the most amazing things. If we go in closed and say, this is what we are doing, the parents, their shoulders go up, the barriers come up, and actually, we're not doing the best for the children then. No. And it, it does take more time. So rather than finishing the plan and sending it to the parent to sign, when you're halfway through, when you've got the main parts in there, send over a draft to the parent. So look, this is what we're thinking of doing. You can then continue doing your bits and needing bits up and arranging things. And hopefully they'll come back to you with any questions. Oh, actually, can we have a meeting about this? So you're not actually putting in all the work and going, oh, I finished this. This is perfect. This is what we're going to do. And then to be told, well, that won't work because that puts your back up that you put all this work in. It's better to get the parents involved earlier. As you talked about in a previous podcast, don't leave it till there's an issue. Nip it in the bud. That's when you're it. doing that plan, you're doing that provision, get the parent input earlier. So you nip it that in the bud, that difference, where actually you have no idea that by doing this, that child will feel this, therefore he won't engage. Or it's in his favorite lesson, or it's in this part, or it's on that part. It's You need that input from the parent. Absolutely. And I think on that note, what I do now is, and it's a really simple thing, and if you haven't done it before, have a go at this. Send the paperwork out before you have a meeting and say, look, this is what I think would be good as an intervention. Have a look through it because it also gives the parents a chance to look through it together, even if only one of them can come to the meeting. So that's a really important point about communication, that we need to ensure that parents have paperwork, are able to think about things and talk about it to other people before they come to a meeting. Rather than presenting paperwork at a meeting, reading the paperwork out to them, I think that is a bit condescending. Here is the paperwork. I will now read the paperwork to you. I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't like to go into a meeting and to be given the paperwork. I would rather be given it beforehand to be able to look at it, think about it, then be able to comment about it. So as I always say, it's about putting ourselves in other people's shoes. Would I actually like that? Would I actually like to be given the paperwork for it to be read out to me and then for me to be asked to sign it? 
No, guess what, Dale? I wouldn't. So it's about this transparency. So with this podcast, I said to you, I want to do a podcast around this. And you went away and you thought about it and you've come along and written things you want to talk about. And if you just turned up and started talking, I would be on my back foot, not knowing what you're kind of saying, not knowing well, I've asked for this. Have you taken the right angle? So one of the things is part of the podcast, you filled in a bit of a form for me, which has yeah. given me information about things you want to talk about, things that are important to you, key words, which meant I can read this. I can go, cool, that's the bit we're talking about. I'm even put my own little bits in. I want to talk about that. So I'm ready. So when we have in this podcast, I know we're going to be on the same page. I know the angle you're taking. I know how to contribute. And I've got a couple of it's going, oh, I don't think we've mentioned this. I need to make sure I mention this. this is important to me. And this podcast is going to go so much better because we've done that preparation beforehand. And if you just turned up and started talking to me, I would be a bit, oh, where's this going? And it wouldn't flow as well. And we might get to a point where we disagree on something or I'm going in that way, you're going that way. And it doesn't quite work. And it is the same with every meeting. But I think especially when it's a parent, and you've got to remember with a parent, this is a very personal meeting. Okay. And, and you see Senko's going, I've got 132 HCPs I've got to get through this year. I've got all these annual meetings. Yes, you've got a lot, which will somewhat desensitize you to the importance of each meeting to each parent. They have one, but that is a big meeting for them. It's a giant meeting. It's going to shape their child's future. So you can't just say, oh, yeah. It's really important to them. So they will come with emotions. They will come with a lot of things on their shoulders. They're going to carry a lot of luggage with them, which is completely understandable, and they're going to. So you've got to help them participate in that meeting effectively by sharing that information beforehand. And this isn't just those EHCP meetings. As you said, it's anything where you're making decisions about interventions, provisions, or changes. You need to include them more than you probably realize because you want to make sure they understand you don't have the first half hour of a conversation explaining where we're up to when they could have done that reading beforehand and maybe read through it a few times maybe looked up some things they weren't sure of so they really understood it maybe looked into lego therapy what well, is lego therapy and did all of that to when they actually discussed it they could actually contribute rather than being in that situation where you've told me all of that i'm now going to go away and look it up so it's important to have that information shared first. And I think it goes both ways. So if I have a parent who says they'd like to come and see me about something, I always ask, what is it concerning? So that I can look it up, so that I can do the background work. Because as teachers, I feel we often feel quite judged. And if we hear that a parent wants to come and see us, we have all these different ideas flying around. Is it about their behavior? Is it about the trip we went on? Is it about lunch times? Is it about so-and-so? Is it about levels are at? And we can spend an awfully long amount of time actually putting together information for the meeting. We get to the meeting and the parent actually says, I was wondering, can they wear tracksuit bottoms on a PE day? And you're like, oh, my goodness, I have spent hours of my life prepping for the wrong meeting. So I think we've got a role to play where we say, what is this about? 
And also then we can prepare for the meeting. Say it was about the trip and you didn't go on the trip. Then you go, actually, on this occasion, I'm going to get Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so into the meeting as well. Because you've got to make sure you've got the right people in the meeting for what the meeting is about. So I think that is really important to know what the purpose of the meeting is. Because I have very different meetings. So I have what I call getting to know you meetings. Because I'm the Senko of two schools, sometimes I don't know the parents that well. And if I'm going to have to talk with a parent about their child and their specific needs, the first meeting has to be them getting to know me and actually sussing me out and actually going, actually, who is Ginny Bootman? You know, what has she done in the past? Has she got any EHCPs through? Has she done this? And it's very much they can question me and they can ask me about my ethos, my values, my past experience. And then we have that dialogue and I actually get to know them and they get to know me. And I can't underestimate that. I know it's time But from my point of view, it's time very, very well spent. I had one meeting when I was supposed to be talking about a child and we never actually got on to speaking about the child because I gauged the meeting. I was going to have it just with the parent, but the parent asked for the class teacher to be in as well. So this parent wasn't completely at ease with speaking to me. By the end of the meeting, we'd formed a connection, a relationship. She trusted me from then on. I would ring her, have those meetings with her afterwards. So I think we have to make sure that we walk before we run with parents, that we build up that relationship and that they can ask me things. And I can be honest about what I can achieve and what I can't achieve. I also have meetings with parents who are considering sending their children to my schools. And I'm very, very honest, go and look at different schools. And I become like... um bit like a Senko helpline, really, Dale, for them to be able to decide what will be the best school for their child because I am vested in the in all of the children. You know, I do have yep. an emotional connection with the parents and the children who I work with because, as you've said before, I'm a small part of their life, but we want to get it right now so that it paves the way for the future. Yes. And one of the things you've written in the notes is what is the best way to communicate? And this is a thing. There is is easy communication. You know, there's fitting it in when it suits you. There's maybe just seeing them at school gate. Oh, I'll just let them know this information I need to share because that's quick and easy for me. Or I'll quickly send them an email because that's easy but effective communication isn't always the same as easy communication. And that's what we really should be aiming for. What is going to be effective? So it's not, have I given that information is have they understood what that means? Have they had their chance to feed back to me on that communication? And to me, that is a really important part of that process is it's that feedback. It's reading their face or hearing that response or reading that response, whatever they prefer to your information and making sure you're not giving them on a Friday afternoon. It's making sure it's a good time you're sharing that information in a way that works for them. And yes, it may not work for you as best. You may prefer that one, but we've got to look at, 
overrule what is the most effective. And that to me is a really, really big, because you want to have the relationships, like getting to know you meeting and all those things you've talked about is making that future communication effective, that you trust each other, you know each other, you kind of gauged each other. That is the starting of that effective communication. I think the how we communicate is so important because what might be easiest, exactly what you said, what is the easiest way for me is not the most effective. So it might be easiest, but actually is it a good use of my time because it's not actually building that relationship. So I think the how we communicate is so important. And I think I have learned over time to give options because as individuals, some of us like a face-to-face -face discussion. Some of yeah. us like a phone call. Some of us like an email. I think to give options is really good because some parents do not like one of those ways of communicating. So I always give an option about, would you like an email? Would you like a phone call, a face-to-face? -face? And they generally, decide and do you know what that's fine with me but once again it has to work for us as well so i'm not saying give up all your time to talk to the parents whenever they want to give options that yep. suit us as well so i think that's really important i think when we have face-to-face -face conversations or zoom we can gauge people's responses far more than a phone call and emails i am a bit twitchy sometimes about emails emails give information in my mind whereas a phone call zoom or a telephone call are a dialogue and i'm very very much yeah. but let's have a dialogue but you know what sometimes it's easier to send an email but we just have to take our brave pill sometimes and we have to phone someone because it will become the dialogue and we will get the backstory far more rather than emails going backwards and forwards, which can be so misread. And I don't know, I just have this word of warning when using emails, information, absolutely. But if you get a spiky email from a parent, please do not reply with another spiky email. Go and have a cup of tea, go for a walk, come back, get it into a context sit down and realign and put it in the context of this is about the child. If you've got a spiky email and that spiky email is a response to your email, which you thought was perfectly fine, maybe read their response, read your initial email again and read their response. You might sit there going, I still don't know what they're reacting to. You need to move on to a phone call. Yes. And where you're getting emails and you're getting spiky responses, well, that isn't effective. You might have, they might prefer to have emails, but obviously that might be, they've got barriers up and they want time to, whatever, but that's not effective. Also, if you're sending emails and you're getting, so you're, you're writing a couple of paragraphs, sharing information, really, and you're just getting, yeah, sure. That's not effective either. <laughs> so in both situations, if you're having spiky responses or the most minimalistic of responses to emails, I would probably try and move to a different form of communication because when they're doing one word answers, they could be really busy. 
And they're not actually giving time to that response, which means actually what you've said might not work. They were just really busy and didn't think about it. Or they might not fully understand, or they might be not agreeing with you. Which go, yeah, fine, give it a go. See what happens. We'll see. And they're waiting. But you can't know from that short answer. So I would move to another form of communication or send the email and follow up with a phone call or a Zoom meeting. So you said share the information in an email follow up with a Zoom call or a phone call later on to discuss. So what did you think of that plan? Do you think that's going to work for your child? Any issues you see? Have you talked to them about it? Have those sorts of conversations and get that feedback from the parents. And I also find that when I get an email, it may be as a result of the parents having a conversation. So this has happened to me. I've had an email and then I've had the phone call and it's happened that both parents are there and been on speakerphone and we've had a great conversation, whereas actually an email can be an amalgamation of two people's conversations where they don't necessarily agree. And I am getting the result of two people who are not agreeing. And then when I had the phone call with them, we had a whole dialogue and it was, it was a really, really good conversation. And I also think when we're talking about communicating and if we have people on Zooms or we have face-to-face, you know, finding the right time so that one parent or both parents or grandparents or aunties or a friend, I say bring as many people as you like because they hear different things. And then you can go off and have a conversation about it, a really, really informed conversation from what you've all heard And that is really, really good because then they can come back with more questions. I don't mind people coming back with questions, but if we get the time right, when the people who they want to be in the meeting can be in the meeting, then that's really reassuring, isn't it? Rather than, right, your time slot is 9.45 on Monday. You know, if we say that you've got to come in at 9.45 on Monday, people may have to take time off work, They may have a younger sibling. They may have so many different things to do. So I once again, Dale, give options that suit me as well. You know, so it's like, would you like this or would you like this? And I have been known to have a Zoom meeting at five o'clock at night because then actually both parents can attend or we have a Zoom and people can attend this wonderful world that we're in of technology. Parents can join me from work. So it's just thinking a bit more outside the box. Um, Many, many years ago, when I first started teaching, the special needs meetings were 9, 9 9.45, 10.15, 11 o'clock, and you came in. Let's think broader to include everybody. Yes, and you think about is if that parent is a teacher, are they ever going to get to your school for 9, 9 9.45, 10, 10? No. For me, I travel lots with work. I go around the country, you see before COVID, travel in different schools. But now my calendar is generally completely full two weeks in advance. So if I need to have a meeting on end of this week with my daughter's school, that's going to be really hard to squeeze in the working day. Now, we've had one recently over Zoom, and that was great. I was able to disappear out of the office for 10 minutes, have a meeting, my wife could have been somewhere else and I could have attended a meeting. So we don't have to be together. It could be three people, three different locations can attend the meeting. And as long as you've each found somewhere 
private where you can share, you can listen, you can concentrate, you're not preoccupied. It is a really good way of communicating. I think we've a lot of us have accepted and have got much better at Zoom calls and Teams meetings. And we've moved away from being camera shy or being quiet. We've actually are now realizing it's a really good way. There's lots of benefits and it is really useful. I think one thing when we talk about communication, is what we're talking about a lot of communication in school and parents, but there's also school and the child. And there's sometimes that linking the three. So my sister, when her middle child was at secondary school, they had a homeschool diary. The Senko thought that was the best way of communicating between home and school, that the parents could write what's happened at home and any issues in the diary, and that would go to school and the school could write things in and that would go home, which on the surface sounds great until you find out that it's the Senko who read the homeschool diary when she met my nephew at the end of the school day. So if it had been a horrible, really bad night and he's really struggling, that goes in the diary and it sits in that book in his bag all the way through the day and comes at the end of the day, he's probably gonna have a really difficult day today because blah, blah, blah. It was the most useless form of communication ever. There was nothing useful coming from home into school in that book because it had no impact. So that wasn't used. And also the timing is my nephew had to go to a meeting at the end of the day, at the end of the school day, after all his lessons finished. So he's already had enough of school. He wasn't struggling. He was masking and things like that. And he had to go in the meeting and he just knew that if he went to this meeting, he would have a conversation, but actually his friends were waiting for him. They'd give him five minutes after that they'd leave. So he just gave the quickest answers, the right answers to get out of that meeting. So nothing useful ever came from him in those meetings. He would all say, I've had a lovely day. I've had a great day. There's been no issues. I'm really happy. Can I go now? Yes, go. So nothing useful went home either. It was a completely useless way of communicating. So I personally stay away from paper communication because paper communication only exists in one place. Yeah, I, I hate paper. Schools love paper, but for me, it's a really bad form of communication. If you got an email, Ginny, from a parent at eight o'clock in the morning and you see that, you're like, okay, that's important. You can fire it off to the class teacher, the head teacher, the deputy, anyone else needs needs it. Bang, five past eight, they've all got that. You're not waiting for that piece of paper to arrive in school. You're not waiting for that to be seen and then that message to be passed on. You can see I'm slightly against paper here. Digital, that digital communication, you can duplicate it, you can share it, you can respond much quicker. So yeah, paper diaries for sharing information back and forth, really think about, is this an effective way of communicating? It might be quick. It might be, we are sending information home, but actually how useful is it? Is it making a difference? Because that's what your communication is aiming for, isn't it? It's making a difference. And when we're talking about communication, we are doing it so, so that we are informing the school of something that has happened at home that we would like them to be made aware of at the beginning of the day. So yes. I used to have the paper homeschool books and I completely agree with you, Dale, that those days I think are gone. So in the early years, a lot of schools use what's called tapestry, which is a really, really good format where parents and staff send messages backwards and forwards electronically, which is absolutely great. This is an interesting one that 
people have differing views on. So this will be an interesting one. I know that most teachers have got a school email address. So if a teacher yep. has a school email address, it would make sense for parents to email the class teacher about the child who is in that teacher's class rather than emailing the Senko because the Senko yep. may not pass that information on and actually it is better to go to the class teacher immediately rather than go through somebody else. So I firmly believe that the communication should be from home to the class teacher in the first instance because then they get to know straight away. I also think when the children yeah. are young, there is somebody outside who collects the children kind of one by one. And so there may be an occasion where there can be a dialogue if appropriate. And that's very important, if appropriate. I have had instances whereby there has been a paper homeschool diary and a teacher is about to fill it in, but the child is of an age that they know it's being filled in and they don't want written down what the teacher is going to write because they can read it. So that's really interesting. So the child can read what is being written in the diary. So they then say they don't yeah. want that written down. So I think that's all very difficult. Another thing that I've seen happening is when children are older, that an email gets sent, type it on an iPad, and that gets sent to the parent. Information, that is giving information. And I think there has to be a note of caution there as well, because you are giving information and that can be misconstrued. So I also think yes. there can be a dialogue with the child when the email is written, if the child is of a, an age to be able to understand that. And so then you can say, right, what should we write about your day today? Then there isn't the child having to stay after school because I completely agree. So it might be that somebody spends a little bit of time typing that with the child and also saying, right, let's get that bit of work you did because that's absolutely marvellous. Let's celebrate the positive. Because actually a homeschool book, it's about the day. And actually, wherever I can, celebrating the great things. Let's take a photo of them playing outside on that pogo stick that they found tricky and they've got better on. Let's have a photo of that work that they did that they're really proud of. You know, and actually what happens yeah. is they then come to me and go, Mrs. Bootman, here's the work I want for this week to send home to parents. And that becomes the dialogue, Dale. That can become the dialogue at home because you've yeah. got something actually to talk about. So homeschool diaries, I think that could be a podcast on its on its own, really, because they can be very, very effective if they are used sensitively. And if you've got a good relationship with the parents as well. Yeah. So you mentioned tapestry. Yeah. So Eversense is our system, similar thing. But you've also got stuff like uh, Seesaw and Class Dojo, yes. which a lot of schools yes. use for communicating. Yes. And I think really good. Big caveat and warning and things to think about. Secondary schools are very good at sharing email addresses. So you can email teachers, which is great. And the situation I'm saying about emailing the Senko, that was in a secondary school setting where you've got lots of teachers it's often that senko is coordinating but also head of year is often good yeah. in secondary 
that head of year is kind of keeping tabs on student support and the teacher and the lessons and managing. So yeah, in primary, you nearly always, if you can, is email that class teacher. Really, really crucial. But I think as a school, as leaders in a school, if you are giving out email addresses to parents, let your teachers know and talk to your teachers, not let them know, conversation. What are your expectations around email? Are you expected to reply? Some of the emails we get business-wise, I'll get an email from a school and a teacher, and it will say at the bottom of email, I will only respond to emails between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Yeah, Monday to Friday. So if you send an email at 9 o'clock at night as a parent, you're not going to get a response until the next day. But even then, they might need to find out more information. So they might actually need to talk to other people before they can respond. So you've got to, as a school, talk to your staff about what are your expectations of them and talk to them about and workload balance and all that stuff and have that conversation. And once you've agreed on that, you need to let your parents know. You need to let your parents know that when you do email, you will receive a response in this time frame. If it's urgent, don't email. It's things like that. And it's weird when we get into the additional needs and special needs, then yeah, email might be better than the phone call, various things. And But it is, it's managing everyone's expectations about if I get an email at 8 p.m. tonight, which looks quite urgent, do I respond? And you can do things with Outlook where you can respond at 8 p.m., but set it to send at 9 a.m. So you can do it and then move on, but it will send at 9 a.m. So it does arrive and send when it should do. So there's lots of different ways, but we've got to make sure that teachers don't feel like for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're expected to respond to emails from parents. I think that's really important. So I work part-time and on my email address, it says the days that I work. And and I like it when I get an email and it says that on the bottom. So I was trying to get in touch with an outside agent and I emailed them and I was getting in touch with them on a Monday and they said that they didn't actually work on a Monday. So I knew they wouldn't get back to me on that day. And that was absolutely fine. I think if it is clear from correspondence when people do work, then that's really good. So that we all know, you know, what the timescales are. I also have seen at the bottom of emails from teachers where it says, if your email is urgent, please call the school office or here is the school office email. So I completely agree. I think the schedule button is one of the best buttons for emails because we all want to send those emails, say at 10 o'clock at night, but actually do the schedule button and then it will send it at a more reasonable hour. I, over time, now realise that people do work in different time zones to me, Dale, that people do actually send emails when their brain is thinking. And I used to think, oh, that's a little bit rude. Don't send me at that time. But I'm trying to get my mindset into, Ginny, you don't have to look at them. It's actually your choice to look at the emails. And people have said to me, move your email somewhere else. Put your email on your iPad, not on your phone. I think we have got to be in control of it as well and decide when we will and when we won't reply to emails. And I still do think that we have to be courteous about when we do send emails out because we have got the schedule send button, which is something that I do use a lot. 
And I think you learn with the different email you, you people you email. We generally, at the moment, I've, I've not had to do this, but sometimes we'll go away to an exhibition or I'm traveling. So I spent the entire day really unable to look at my email and I get somewhere and I go, right, I've got to send an email because that's happenstance. I need to get that off. And so I will get to a hotel and at eight, half eight, I'll send an email off even later. Sometimes one o'clock in the morning, I'll send emails off because it has to leave my brain. And what I've learned is some people will leave it till the following morning. But someone I work with, if I send him an email at 10 o'clock at night, he will do what I ask him at 10 o'clock at night. Because well, I wasn't doing anything else. I'm like, yeah, but you're not working. But he will. It's just the way he is. If I email him, he will do it. So I now have to schedule it or save it in drafts and send it when it's a better time for him. So I'll do things like, even if I say, don't do this now, do it tomorrow, and I'll send it. I, w- I wake up the next morning and go, oh, I did it last night. So you kind of have to protect that person. Yes. So I send those emails the next day. But you'll find that with different people is you work at typical hours, but others may do shift work. So they can only respond late at night. It's sometimes that some people you talk to, they assume that everyone works a nine to five job, that they're always there. It's like, no, not everyone does. So you, there's accommodations there. And sometimes there might be one parent where, you know, actually at eight o'clock at night, you might have to hit send and send it to eight o'clock at night. But that'll be a very, very individual specific circumstances. And again, that'll be based on the connection, the relationship you have with that person that you've developed that will let you do that where they understand why you're doing it. They're very thankful. They're not going to use and abuse that you'll email at them at any time. I, yeah. So again, it's that relationship. Building. Yeah. And, and I think talking about relationships, and I do go on about this a lot, but when we're talking about communicating, <laughs> about names, about how we, how we actually talk to the parents, I say to parents, they can call yeah. me Ginny, actually, you know, to, to call someone mum or dad actually is quite derogatory and they actually would like to be called by their name because actually we are even, you know, we have an even relationship. So let me find out how you want to be addressed and then I'll address you in that way. Yeah, I think that is really important. Generally, we like a name. If you have a name, it's a person, a mum or a dad is a title of a someone who has a link to a child. But actually, when you say someone's name, they become a person. It sounds so twee or whatever, but it does make a difference in how that person's feel when you've taken time to learn their name and things like that. So, yeah, right. if you find out their name, write it down as a piece of paper before you go in. Things like that. If you can do that, it makes life easier. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think that name thing is a big thing at many levels as well. Yeah, and I think the why we have... Um, meetings is really important and I think sometimes parents ask me for meetings because they need a meeting they will call a meeting and that is really important so I had a parent who wanted a meeting before a meeting and said Ginny can we have a meeting before a meeting before an important meeting I said absolutely we sat down we had a pre-meeting meeting because she wanted that in order to get her mind sorted like we're saying about having notes before a meeting she just needed to get her mind sorted and make sure that we were on the same page exactly and she knew we were but she just needed the reassurance of a conversation with me before we had a big meeting with outside agents and 
it was time well spent. It all comes back to this as well, Dale, doesn't it? About actually time. Actually, that yeah. was time time well spent. Another thing that I do with, with my parents is a check-in. I'll do a check-in email. So I don't see my parents all the time because I'm, I'm between schools. But then I'll just think, actually, I'll just do a little check-in email. How are things going with you? And we have an email and they can just tell me things that are happening, things that they're maybe bothered about or just it is literally a checking in and they know that I will check in with them and they equally check in with me. So I've got parents checking in with me about things for September going, actually, Ginny, is it okay if we get a date in the diary for September for so-and-so? So I think it's really good that they feel that they can, you know, ask for meetings even for September now, and things like sorting out secondary schools, which is huge for children with special needs. I have so many conversations about applications that are going in, and they tell me where they are with the process of whether it's secondary schools, EHCPs. So all the time we've got that transparency that we don't always have between the local education authority to the parent and the local education authority to school. So we have like that triangulation between us. So if I find out anything, I email them, check in and say, do you know what? I found out this. They do the same to me. So there are no surprises. And also sometimes I say, do you know what? I'll make another phone call about that. So they tell me what's happening. I can then do it from my angle as well. So this checking in, I don't think can be underestimated because it just shows no. that I'm still, I'm there. I'm still, I'm still here. And those, we talk about nipping things in the bud. Then I'll get a little email going, actually, can you help me with this? Actually, this happened. Or can you have a word with so-and-so about, about something? So it just, once again, just keeps everything on an even keel, just going along very nicely. When we think about everything we're talking about does cost time. Yeah. And time is money realistic these days. But if you think about if you're putting all this time in, it's making that communication more effective. When you have that effective communication, when you're going to annual review meetings, when you're working on that provision and the interventions, you're going to have the conversations. By having those conversations, when you go on school trips, everything you're doing is to make everything work better, work smoothly, be more effective. So therefore, you might be tweaking what you initially thought to something which will work even better. Your initial plan might be 90% right, might be 30% right, might be 70% right. No idea. Different situations, different. But by making it really work for that child, by spending a little bit of time, the outcomes will be boosted even further. Yeah, so this time spent at the beginning will just make things work for a very long time. Because if you're doing that EHCP plan and you're doing that thing and you're sending it out, spending that time a little bit extra will make that EHC plan work for that year and probably future years because you've got a better understanding. And just think about, we talk about APDR, assess, plan, do, review. Yeah. And if you think about all these things you're doing with parents, yeah. So you're assessing where we are. You cannot do that without the parents. Yeah. When you're planning what to do, you can't do that without the parents. A lot of you doing, you're in school. Yes, you're doing that in school. You've got specialists coming in. You're doing it. You're working on it. Yeah. But when you review it, you are looking at what is the academic progress? What is their progress in this area? 
What is the impact at home? What has mum seen? So when you do the review, that's going to involve the parents. Yeah. And if you do the AP, the assess the plan and the review with the parents, you're doing really effective at it. You're really going to work out. They're going to work so much better. And the decisions you're going to be making will be so much better. APDR is not something you do in isolation. It's not something you sit down and go, right, let's assess this. It's actually, you've got to get all the input from everyone involved, which all comes back to that communication. I think the time that we put in long-term saves time. Yes, without a doubt. It's that time preparing. Yeah. If you put in a little bit of time before a school trip, making sure it goes smoothly rather than going on the school trip and then things going wrong, it's going to take you lots of time to deal with that on the trip and your stress levels will be through the roof as with the child and the parents and lots of stress, lots of time. And then there'll probably be meetings after the trip of why did that go wrong? What did you do wrong? How can we avoid it? So you end up doing a lot more fixing, lots of firefighting without doing the planning. And I know Super Nanny, not always the best things, but lots of things she was is you put the effort in earlier and you'll put a lot less effort in than you would do if you didn't do that preparation. The supermarket trip, you go to the supermarket and you'll always see some parent fighting their child around that supermarket. They're bored. They don't want to be there. They're playing up. And you just see there and you go, oh. And Super Nanny did a thing on that and it was about putting that effort in early, giving, occupying the children, making them more involved, not just trying to get through them. And it's just a few little changes can really transform that situation. It's not always easy to see, but it is. Timing earlier makes life much easier later on. And I think it's the old adage, isn't it? Fail to plan, plan to fail. Yes. We all make mistakes. We all go through this and you sit there and think, well, I, I, I could have sworn I told everyone. I could have sworn everyone was clear. But again, sometimes, yeah, you told everyone, but I never checked their understanding. I'm never sure they were on board with it. I'm never sure they might have questioned, but they give them time. I might have gone, right. And this is the thing I've written in my notes, making sure you've got time. So if I sit there and go, right, I need to share information. It'll take me 45 minutes. We've got 45 minutes there. Great. No, actually, if you've got 45 minutes worth of information to share, you actually need another 45 minutes to discuss. You've got to plan for the questions to make sure people have understood, to give them time and then talk to them. So here's what I want to do. This is what we are going to do. Right, what's the best way of getting this done? Get the buy-in. And it takes time. It gets the conversation. And this isn't just with parents. This is across the school, business, life, family, everything. It's that communication is much better. And it is so much better to put that time in at the beginning rather than putting a very stressful time in when it's all gone wrong and you're trying to rebuild it, but the damage is already done. That's it. Cool. So I think we kind of covered a lot of things we wanted to cover. Anything we've missed off you feel? No, I just think when we, when we're communicating with parents, we need to listen to them to understand. We need to spend more time listening and actually working out what is the story behind this. We need to, Really, really listen to the parents. Definitely. Listen, believe, work together. So big thank you for coming on the show today, Ginny. Ginny has given me some details, some links to share. So I've got those in the show notes. I'll be finding links to those. So that will all be in the show notes. 
And I'll also be sharing Ginny's contact details. And you'll find those show notes on our website, www.thesendcast.com. And thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. You can find the links to subscribe across all the different podcast platforms on our website. And please follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, we are The Sendcast. And on Instagram, The Sendcast. And please, if you use us, listen to us on social media, share your favorite episodes, share things, get other people, tell them how good it is. Let's get more people listening to The Sendcast. And before you go, just like to remind you about training for education. Yeah, this is our website where we do CPD for SEM. And we'll find a number of the guests on the Sendcast are speakers at our virtual Send conferences, or they may have recorded their own training courses. Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And as an exclusive gift to our Sendcast listeners, you can get 10% discount on the virtual Send conferences, future or past, by using the code Sendcast10. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Sencast. It's goodbye from and me. And it's goodbye from me. The Senko Girl. <laughs> <laughs>